Amen. Good morning to you. Hey, I thought like, you know, Labor Day weekend, y'all wouldn't be here. And you are. How cool is that? Thank you for coming today. Members, thank you so much. Regular tenders, family, thank you. And we have guests today. We are so glad that you have come to worship with us. And did we worship? Amen. I'm telling you what. That last song, It Is Well With My Soul, you know, it's kind of nice when it's well with your pocketbook and it's nice with your circumstances are well. It's nice when the job's good. But when it's well with your soul, well, that's all you need. That's all you need. And that's what Jesus Christ provides. Well, listen, we're heading toward the end of a series that we've called The Church at Dorsville. And we've talked about the promise of the church and how the church was born. And we talked about how the church ought to live and act. We talked about one of the great messages of the church is hope. We talked about accountability for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. And today I want to talk about really why we are. And it's just a, it's a treasure chest of scripture today. I mean, there's like three verses in our scripture today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 21 that are just huge. And so I really hope that if you're, if you attend here, if your family here, or if you're guests here, that, that you'll take this home. And if you're here today and you've never experienced the amazing, incredible grace of God, and you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ, received forgiveness of your sins, there's a chunk of this that's all about that. And I hope you will listen today. But you know, the truth is, the truth is a lot of churches today have kind of lost their way. They, they haven't Remember what they are about. There's a parable, and by the way, there's a copy of this um, out on the welcome desk along with the reference guide. If you'd like to take a copy of this, and I certainly cannot memorize it, would not. But, but it tells a story about a life-saving station. That there was a sea coast where there were lots of, of wrecks, shipwrecks, off the coast. And so this little uh, life-saving shack, really... Would, would be there, and men and women would go there, and they would go out into the dangerous waters and bring people into safety. And it had quite a reputation after a while of, of, a, of a place where people could be helped. And then some people really looked at the building and said, you know, the building really is not very nice. And in fact, it's quite shabby. So they decided to raise the money and they would build a new building. And they did exactly that. And it was a wonderful building. But, but they replaced the, the meager uh, furnishings with plush furniture. And the, the little cots where the people could rest that were rescued became very comfortable beds. And it wasn't long before the members then decided that was a place for them to congregate. The ones who used to go out into the ocean, they would congregate and stay there. And then slowly as time progressed, when people would come in and they would be wet and dripping and covered with oil and cold and shivering, that the members looked and said, you know, this is not good for our nice facility. And so they decided they'd build a shower house outside the building where the, where the people could come and clean up before they came into the niceness of the building. And eventually it happened. Most of the people didn't go out anymore, so they ran an ad in the paper, and they hired some professional lifesavers, and it became the job of those professional lifesavers to go out into the ocean and bring them in, and they did. In fact, one time there was a really, really bad shipwreck, and the professional lifesavers went out to the ocean um, and brought these people in, and they soiled the building, and the people got angry, and so they decided they needed to do something. So, so they had a vote. Whether they should remain a life-saving station or just become a club on the seashore. 
So finally, what happened was they, they were voted down. The ones who thought it ought to be running a life-saving station were voted down. And they told them and said, you can go down the coast and you can start your own life-saving station if that's how you feel. And that's exactly what they did. They went on down the coast and they built another life-saving station. But it wasn't long before they too built a new building. They too had nice facilities. They too lost a vision. They too hired a professional crew. And it's said that you can go up and down the coast now. And all along the coast are these nice buildings that call themselves life-saving stations. But the truth is, the shipwrecks continue and many people drown because no one goes out. And that's a beautiful, wonderful parable about so many churches today that seem to have lost what the mission is all about. And in our scripture today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 21, Paul just explodes in these beautiful words about the mission uh, of the church, the, the mission of Christ to come. And again, once again, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the songs chosen today really tie in so well with that. So we'll have the words on the sermon of the scripture on the screen. They're also in your bulletin on a sermon sheet there. Perhaps you want to take out your Bible, take out your iPad, take out your phone. But let's look together at the Word of God and see how God has called us to be His ambassadors. It begins with Paul saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us. In other words, Paul had reached a point where he was driven by something. And the thing that drove him was this incredible Love of Jesus Christ. In fact, it says this, for Christ's love compels us since we've reached this conclusion. You know, Paul was overwhelmed with, with the love of Jesus Christ and, and because he came to this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. In other words, that this Jesus, this, this Jesus who expressed his love by going to a Roman cross this Jesus who came to earth, born of a virgin, who lived a perfectly sinless life, and then not in a plan gone bad, but according to the sovereign will of God, he surrendered to the cross. They nailed him to a cross after scourging him, playing a crown of thorns on him, plucking his beard, beating him. He submitted to the cross, and on that cross, which was called the death of death by those who lived at that time, he physically was abused and died. But on that cross, he became the sins of the world. All the sin of the world was thrown on Jesus Christ on a Roman cross like this. The full wrath of God was thrown on Jesus Christ that day. In fact, the Bible says that God turned out the lights during the crucifixion and cried out, My God, my God, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? And the reason why was because holy God could not look on sin as his son hung on the cross. So he, he, he did something to Jesus that he would never do to us. He turned his back on his own son. And when Paul thought about that, that, that Jesus Christ died not for certain people's sin, but that Jesus died for the entire sins of the world, he was overwhelmed with this love. 
And it was possible then for every person, as Christ died for sins, every person who had placed their faith and trust in Him and turned from their sin could have this eternal life, could have this forgiveness. Paul certainly was not teaching universalism where, where Christ died for everyone so everyone gets in. Every person has to make that conscious decision drawn by the Father. And we'll touch on that this morning. Drawn by God to His Son, Jesus Christ. So Paul was overwhelmed. The, the, word, the word compelled there uh, means a firm grip. It means to control. Paul was controlled by the love of God because he understood that he was a sinner and that Christ died for him. And I want to encourage you this morning as we pause and it seems so simple. If you take nothing home from today, if you want a bottom line for the believers in Jesus Christ today is this. We need to be overwhelmed by the love of Christ for us. I mean, we need to be overwhelmed by what happened here. The demonstration, the demonstration of his love for us on that Roman cross. And as we are overwhelmed, it's going to dramatically change who we are. So if one died, then, then, then all of us, or all of them died, and he died for all so that those who live, in other words, he died for all and those who choose life in him by turning from their sin, by, by accepting through faith what he did. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them. The thought and the concept of, of Jesus Christ being a fire escape, the thought and concept of Jesus just being someone that we can say a prayer to and, hey, we're in. No, it doesn't exist in scriptures. It does not exist. In scriptures. No, no, no. When we, and this is what we talked about last week, we talked about works. The motivation for our works is not, not to appease God. The motivation for our works is not to earn God's favor. The, the motivation for our works is not to earn salvation because you can't, you can't, you can't. But we are motivated. Paul says, I'm compelled by this intense love for Christ, driven by one thing because of what he did for me. For me. Paul, the most religious man probably in the world, at least for that period of time, threw aside his religion and embraced the Son of God. He understood so fully that his religion, his works, could not earn him favor with God. Only God's amazing, amazing grace. So he finishes up by saying this. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. Paul said this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, I pray as a church family will always be just totally enamored with Jesus Christ. I, I pray as a church family will just fall radically and deeply in love with Him. We will not fall in love with our facilities. We will not fall in love with our denomination. We will not fall in love with personalities and people. We will just say radically, emphatically in love with Jesus Christ. Jim Dunn made this cross. And it's one of the most precious things in this building to me. Because every time I stand to preach before you, every time it is my privilege to stand and share the wonderful truths of God's Word, this reminds me it's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about people. It is 
about him. So Paul says, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm controlled. I'm driven by this intense love. That love that calls Christ to die for the people of this world. And that whosoever will may come. Whosoever would turn from their sins and by grace receive forgiveness. The door was wide open. How incredible. And then in verse number 16 he says this. From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Look at the faces. We will not know people in a human way. Paul was a a Pharisee. Paul was one who was really good at keeping the rules. And people like this, as the Pharisee, he would look down on them. You're not good enough. I'm better than you. You don't deserve. God doesn't love. God doesn't care. He would look down upon them. But Paul said, when he met Jesus, something changed. And I no longer look at people in a purely human way. Listen, listen, listen. I will not look at people based on externals. Paul made a decision to lay aside his religion, to pick up Jesus Christ, and then to see people as Christ, as God sees people. Every one of these faces is a face of someone in this world whom Christ died for. Come on. Whom Christ died for. He died for the drunk. He died for the drug addict. For the adulterer. He died for the pornographer. He died for the, for the sinner. He died for the, for the religious person. He died for the black man. He died for the white man. He died for the yellow man. He died for the brown man. He died for the rich. And he died for the poor. He died for you, friend. He died for you. And our, our gift that God has given us. Is that we have the opportunity to share what we know about Jesus Christ with people just like this. I still go back. Some of you were not here. In fact, many were not here the night we had the Haiti and Canada reports. And there in Haiti were children that were physically and mentally challenged. Their body was wretched and deformed. And this this missionary had rescued them from the dump where they were thrown as so much trash. And I looked and said, God, those are precious creations of yours, Jesus' people that you died for. So as we're compelled by the love of Christ, as we see these faces, never, never forget that we should not see people in externals. The, the doors of this church need to be wide open to people. Regardless of race, economic station, whether they smell good or bad, it just doesn't matter. Because Christ died for them. Christ died for them. And you know what? Someone's going to say, well, Dwayne, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 Dwayne. You just don't understand. We're not like them. We, we, they don't live in the same neighborhood that I live in. Well, let me just remind you of something. On your very best day, on your very best day, on the day when you were just Right on with God. You kept all the rules you thought. And you went to church. You did all that good stuff. You, you, you could look at God and say, God, look at this stuff. On your very best day, you were a depraved sinner on a fast track to eternal hell without Jesus Christ. 
On your best day, that's what you were. On your best day, you were like these people. Everybody has sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not like there's a huge sinner, a small sinner. All of us are depraved, separated from Christ. So before you sit there and judge somebody because they don't look like you, just remember on your best day, you're just a sinner lost. You're a sinner hopeless. You're a, a, a sinner separated from God. But because of Jesus, you're brought into the family. And these people, these ones that Jesus died for, too, are brought into the family. And that's what, that's what happened. Look what he says. From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, we now, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Paul said, I knew Jesus before I knew him. Before Paul became a Christ follower, he was a Christ hater. Before he became a Christ follower, he was a Christian hater. He hated those who were of the way. In fact, his life mission was to go and try to kill people who followed this Jewish carpenter, this man named Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus as heresy. He saw Jesus as a heretic. He saw Jesus probably as insane. But then one day, on a Damascus Road encounter, he met Jesus Christ. And his life was changed forever. He went from seeing Jesus in a purely human way to seeing him as King of Kings. He went from seeing Jesus as, as a human way, as being the Lord of Lords. Now, folks, listen to me. Listen to me. We've got to see Jesus as He is. We've got to get Him out of the history books and to every page of our lives. We've got, to, we've got to change this concept of Him just being our way to heaven to being our way of life. We've we got to get beyond Jesus as being the guy in the past to being the God of our lives because that's exactly what He is. We must not see Jesus as a fire escape, as I said earlier. We need to see Him as what He is. Our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Our Savior, our Lord, and our King. So Paul says, I used to see people... This way, I, I judged people on the externals. And then on that Damascus road, I realized that even with all my religion and all my good works, I was nothing but a depraved sinner separated from God. And that day I met Jesus Christ as Savior and so radically changed him. He said, I just can't see people that way anymore. I see them as, as people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and what brought that about was, was Paul understood who Jesus is. And when we understand who Jesus really is, then we'll see people as God sees them. And the cool part is, the person that you know, that you think God couldn't and God can and they never will. And, and they got this problem, they got that problem, and it's a hopeless situation. Paul says these words. Therefore, because I've learned to see people differently because of Christ, and because I see Christ differently, therefore, if anyone, how many? Anyone. If any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. And look, new things have become. Look, everything has become new. Do you understand what that means? That first off, in your life, 
Today you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. He made you new. He put within you a brand new nature. In fact, part of Him, the Holy Spirit, as a believer in Christ, now lives inside of you. You became a new creation. Listen, He didn't do, he didn't do the 21-day makeover. He, he, didn't, he didn't kind of do a remodeling job on you. In fact, the Bible says you were dead anyway. You're dead and trespassed in sin. But when you trusted Jesus Christ, He made you alive. He made you a new creation. Now, here's the problem. We think because people become new creations that they become perfect like us. Well, you ain't and they're not. But it does mean that you are a new creation. There's a nature, there's a power, there's a force. There, there's something in you that wasn't there before. And that's Christ. It's the Holy Spirit living within you. You have new wants. You'll have new desires. You have a new purpose. You can even look at people differently. You, you start seeing people as eternal souls that Jesus loves. Jesus loves me this. I know for the Bible tells me so. Oh, how he loves them. It's incredible. Now, if you think, I hope you think that's incredible. I hope you really, it's just cool. You know, it's just cool that, that, that Christ died for everyone. And that anyone who's willing to put their faith and trust in that death and turn from their sin can come into relationship with holy God. And that God can turn around and help us to see people as we ought to see people as creatures for which Jesus Christ died. And then we start seeing Jesus differently. He, instead of just being our buddy and our friend, which by the way, he is my friend, but he becomes my king of kings and my lord of lords. I see him as eternal. When that happens, all of a sudden, man, this thing happens. We become new creations in God. People that we know are saved and they become new creations in God. It's pretty powerful. Now church can't do that. The Sun Baptist Convention just ain't got that. Now I'm listening. I'm Baptist born, Baptist bred. When I'm gone I'll be Baptist dead. But my religion my religion is not my hope. My religion is not my hope. My hope is anchored in the rock of ages. The cornerstone. And so is yours if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now here's the crazy part. Look what Paul says in verse number 18. First off, and David, this is right down the alley. Everything is from God. David said it and sang it today. This, you might say it this way. All this comes from God. Now all this comes from God. What part do we have? We ain't got none. You know, we, in fact, you know, it depends on how you interpret, interpret Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a works lest any man should boast. You come, to the, you come to Jesus Christ because God the Father draws you. You probably didn't have the faith to be saved. It's a gift from God. Now, now everything, everything is by God's grace. Everything is by... We just ain't got nothing to boast in. I mean, I'm telling you, when you go to your heavenly banking account, the only deposit you've got that matters is Jesus. You know, your, your works and your talents and your abilities and all the things you do, man, they don't count up. But Jesus Christ, the deposit of Jesus Christ in your spiritual account, mm-hmm, you became rich. You became rich. So all of this, everything is from God. Now watch this. 
who reconciled, who brought us back. Imagine, imagine holy God. Say holy God. Now, here's holy God. Now, let me just tell you this, just so you make it real clear. In our natural state, He's holy and we're not. He's holy and we're unholy. He's light and we're darkness. He's life and we're dead. Are you getting it? Okay. So here's God over here. He's holy and we're not. Over here is, is us. And this huge gap was there. And we had no materials to build away. If, it's gonna, if me and God were ever going to get together, who's going to have to initiate? That would be God. And you know what he did? He initiated. He, through, before the foundation of the world was laid. You know, John said, behold, the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. He made a way for us to come together. He reconciled us. He brought us together. Not us, us. He brought us together. How? He brought, reconciled us to himself through Christ. By the death on the cross. By his atonement on the cross. Him being the propitiation for our sins on the cross. That's how. Through Christ. And then watch this. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What? Here is God. He, he makes a way through Jesus Christ that we might come into relationship with him and say, now I'm going to entrust you with the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to trust you with the mission of spreading this good news of reconciliation. Have you ever wondered why he didn't get an angel? You know, see, we can't have a sermon around Dorisville without food. It's kind of a tradition. And I've used this one before, but it's still good. You know, I can tell you how good a certain food is. And, of course, one of my favorites is pecan pie. And I can try to describe it. But, but unless, unless you've experienced it, then you don't know what it's like. So what if I'm trying to tell you how good pecan pie is and I've never tasted it? I would say something like this. I said, well... It looks gooey. Anything gooey is probably good. Well, that's not true. Some things are gooey and they're not good. And, and you know, in pecans, listen, we have medical proof that nuts are good for you. So not only is it gooey, there's a strong chance it's even doctor recommended. Now, I've never tasted it. But I'm telling you about it. You know why God didn't get a bunch of angels and come down to, to, to earth? They never experienced it. God says, I need some folks who have experienced my grace. I need some folks who have experienced my forgiveness. I need some folks who have experienced being reconciled. Now, you angels, I'm sorry. Y'all ain't got that. Y'all ain't never experienced grace. I need some folks who have experienced grace. And guess what? If you know Jesus today, that would be you and me. And he said, and he said, listen here, I'm going to listen. I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. And then Paul says, in case you didn't get it, here's what I'm trying to say. That is, in Christ, and it's amazing. That appears in 17, it appears here, and it appears later. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So Paul says, this is what it looks like. That through Christ, 
through the cross, through the shed blood, through him becoming sin, enduring the wrath of God, through Christ, he is reconciling the world to himself. How incredible is that? He goes on and he says, not counting their trespasses against them. How can holy God be reconciled to sinful man? He doesn't commute their trespasses to them. Well, how is that possible? That was what you're supposed to say. Well, how was it, Brother Dwayne? Well, let me show you. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, And when you were dead in trespasses and sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him and forgave all our trespasses. How did He do that? He erased the certificate of debt. I love the old King James. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinance against us. He took Hobie's ticket and blotted it out. He took your Visa card and blotted it out. He took your American Express and he blotted it out. He even, he even blotted out the IRS. Blotting out the handwriting of certificate that was against us. Nailing it to his cross and taking it out of the way. How could holy God be reconciled to sinful man? Can it be by works? No. Can it be by our goodness? No. Well, how can it be? He took our sins out of the way. He blotted out the charge sheet. He took them out of the way and nailed them on the cross in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's incredible, folks. That's incredible. The reason you can have a relationship with Holy God is because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Plus nothing and minus nothing. I mean, that's just, it's incredible to think that that's the message and that's what He did. Matter of fact, look what He says. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He's given us the mission of reconciliation to go and tell. And the message we got is Jesus saves. Come on now. Y'all like to clap. That's a good one. Jesus saves. Have you heard the good news? Jesus saves. He saves whoever you are. If you're willing to come by faith, through the cross, through grace, turning from your sin, He'll save you. He'll forgive you. That's good news. Now, don't get it all messed up. You know, if you'll quit this and start that, you leave that all to God. The Bible says if a sinner will come through the blood of Jesus Christ, then, then he can be forgiven of his sins. If he'll come through the blood, turn from his sins, experience God's grace, he can come to God. I heard an old preacher say at one time, get him in the kingdom and let God take the garbage out. But here's what we want to do. If you'll do this and do that and start this and stop that and quit this habit and start that habit, then you can be saved. Hello? That may be in the Quran, but it's not in the Holy Word of God. This is not, this is not a works book. This is a grace book. This is a grace book. And I'm telling you, by God's amazing and wonderful grace, we can come. The message is, Jesus says, no, this sounds good news. There are so many people in this world caught in darkness a lot. It doesn't matter how much money they've got. We've 
know, celebrities. It just doesn't matter. Sports figures. The greatest message is that God can reconcile you through what His Son did on the cross. The message is Jesus saves. Now, just as a reminder, why do we do what we do? You know, why do we show the movies? Why do we do the Sunday in the Park thing? Why do we go to Africa, Nicaragua? Why do we go to Haiti? Why are we going to the Philippines of all places? Why, why do we so... I hope you know this. The bro back there at the table, he tries so hard with his team to bring us into authentic worship so that when there's a person here who may not know God can look and go, I do not know what this is, but it's real. Why do we do all that? Because we want to see people reconciled to God. Why does this church exist? It's not for us guys. It's for Him and them. And we're praying that them will become thems. Amen? That's what it's about. It's about. We don't exist for us. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. And that world out there, whether they, whatever continent they're on, or whether they're one block north or one block south. I think I got that backwards, but I do it all the time. The message is, Jesus saves. So now watch this. This is just incredible. Therefore, Paul says, and whenever there's that therefore, he asks, okay, what's it there for? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now listen, you may have a lot of cool callings in your life. You may have a title by your name. It may be DR. It may be vice president or president. It may be teacher. It may be judge. Maybe counselor. But there is no higher title. First, that you are a child of God. And secondly, you are his ambassador. You are brother ambassador and you are sister ambassador. And just like in the world, when when the United States has an ambassador, they are the official representative to another country. They speak often for the leadership of that company. President Obama would call the ambassador in Germany and say, I want you to go see the chancellor and speak for me. Well, we are God's ambassadors. And we have his authority to speak on his behalf. And he speaks reconciliation. He speaks love. He speaks forgiveness. But I think he also speaks a warning. The warning is that now is the day of salvation. But if you die without Christ, you'll be eternally separated from me. We are his ambassadors. Certain that God is appealing through us. Certain that God is drawing through us. We don't have to hope so maybe about this one. We, we question, well, is this what we all do? Is this what we all do as a church? This one we don't have to second guess. We are ambassadors and God is appealing through us. God is drawing people using us at the mouthpiece. We plead in Christ's behalf. There's an urgency. There's a priority. We appeal in, on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Now let me pause here. Are you listening? Hell's real. Now, it's not popular today. I know the younger people, and a lot of people believe in heaven. No one believes in hell. Hell is real. 
This is why Paul says we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Because any person who dies without Jesus Christ will be eternally separated from God. The unbearable reality is this. Without the application of God's grace and forgiveness in your life, you one day will be cast into a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. That's reality. And God has done everything he can, even sending his son Jesus. You know, it's so cool because, because again, God could have said, okay, give 80% of your income and maybe you'll get in. Or he could say, go to church nine times a week and you'll be in. Or treat everybody nice, you know, go to rule thing and maybe you'll be in. He did. He did it all. He did it all. And the, the crazy thing is, Either right now, on the radio, because we're still on, or sometime in the future, someone's going to hear this message. And they're going to understand that they do not know God in a personal way. And they'll walk out that door or turn the knob. It's crazy. You're saying, well, Dwayne, now wait a minute. How do you know all this is real? Well, can I just sidestep that question and ask you this question? What if it is? I mean, is that a gamble you really want to take? Now, the Bible supports it. I think, I think history supports it. The Bible supports it. Even nature screams out, there's a God. But here's the deal. You know, if this stuff isn't real, if this is just the way I made my living while I was on this earth, I die and I go in a hole and I decay and that's the end of it all. Can I tell you something? If all this is not real, I'll live a great life. I've had friends who love me. Gave me pecan pie. I've had a great life. But if it is real, and it is. Again, we're talking about a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago and no one should know his name. And one third of this world associates Jesus and God together. If it's real, and you say no, then you're separated from God forever. That's a pretty big gamble. That's a pretty big risk. And God has put this moment in time. And by the way, whether you go to church or don't go to church, it doesn't matter. I was listening to Charles Stanley preach yesterday. He said, I don't care if you're a preacher and you preach through the word every week. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if God had drawn you, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll stay eternally separated from him. Charles Stanley, not Andy, the daddy said that. So if you doubt about Christ, you're totally separated. And God did everything He could. In fact, I don't know if this means very much to you, but to me it's a very meaningful verse. And probably if you're a Christ follower, it does. But, but if you're not, maybe it doesn't. He made the one, this is verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, I don't have too many illustrations that I use over again. But can I just use one more? I know I used the one earlier. I told you when I was about the fifth grade. I remember we were still going to the bus stop. I used to walk to junior high, but I rode the bus to the elementary school. So probably fifth grade. And uh, mom would give me a quarter for lunch. Either that or, or potted meat. Anybody here like potted meat? I never was a fan. That or Vienna sausages. Mom gave me the quarter, and we're standing at the bus stop, 
And the dudes got, I think, like a pack of 10 football cards. And so um, he said, hey, Dwayne, I'll trade you the base, the football cards for the quarter. You know what's amazing? At that moment, that sounded like a pretty good deal. So I gave him the quarter, and he gave me the 10 cards. And that was really good till about 11 o'clock. I found out you cannot eat football cards. And I tried my best to trade those cards for a quarter, and no one wanted them. Jesus said, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And right now, where you are in your life, you're, you're probably here because somebody invited you to lunch. You might be, your mom talked you into coming, or dad talked you into coming, your wife browbeat you into coming. And right now you say, Dwayne, my life is good. I drive a nice car. I got a good job. I can go to the lake on weekends. I've got the jet ski. I've got the foiler. My life is pretty full. Pretty, pretty full. That's cool now, I suppose. I wouldn't want to face life a day without Jesus, but okay. I get where you're coming from. But what about lunchtime? What about the day, assuming you have some warning, when cancer's eating your body or the heart attack has come or you're a guy and you live to be 85 years old or 86 years old and you're finally the body's wore out? What is all that stuff worth then? What are the titles and the money and the address and the toys and the trinkets worth then? What would a man get in exchange for his soul? What is your soul worth? Well, to God, is worth this. He who knew no sin, his son Jesus, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It was the trait. Dwayne, yes. Give me your sin, and I'll give you my righteousness. How cool is that? Now, that's trait you can live with. The Father invites every person, give me your sin, my son died for it, the price has been paid, and I'll give you his righteousness if you'll believe. The Bible says about the great patriarch Abraham, that Abraham believed God and was counted for him as righteousness. So here you go. What's the deal? Well, first off, if you're here today... And you've never trusted Christ. And I, let, me just, let me just apologize. I know that you've probably been to church before and people cast rocks at you. They judged you. Um, you know a person who, quote, is a Christian and they look down on you in scorn. Um, you're, you're probably here today and you might say, all churches are a bunch of hypocrites. I get all that. But that's the bottom line is that that won't help you when you stand before God. God's not going to take your short list and say, you know, well, I didn't like the way they did this. And, and that deacon went and got drunk. And that, that person slept with that person. And they're just by chip groups. So I said, no. It won't do you any good. The only thing that will save your soul eternally is God's grace. Is God's grace. So if you're here today, people may have failed you. But God never has. And God never will. So I'm going to be standing down front here. We call this our time of decision. And I know this is weird. We've got a good crowd this morning. But... but we're asking you to come only because we got some folks who can answer questions for you. And we want to give you that opportunity to say yes to what Jesus did. 
in His amazing grace and give you eternal life to be reconciled with God. You know, calling God Father is kind of like, you know, a common thing. But can you imagine really calling Him Father? That's what Jesus can do. If you're a Christ follower, there's like nine things. I hope you took some notes. Be compelled by His love. Really work at seeing people as they are. People that Christ died for. Look beyond the externals to the soul of a man or woman that Jesus loves and died for. He has entrusted us the ministry of reconciliation. And the message is, Jesus saves. Let's never become that club that builds a building for our comfort while people are drowning out there. Let's be the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones that God has given the ministry to. Whether it's two blocks north or south or across the ocean, carry the message, Jesus saves. Let's pray. Father, your word really is incredible. No, no, you're incredible and your word's incredible. Father, I want to pray for my friend. It may be someone who listens to this message maybe in a month on the internet. It may be someone here, maybe someone who listens on the radio today. But God, there's an urgency to be reconciled to you. And yes, we are so grateful that you love this world so much that you gave your only begotten son. That anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I pray for my friend and ask that today would be the day when they trust Jesus. Will they turn from their sins, receive your marvelous grace, and become a new creation? God, we know there's questions that we don't have answers to. But if you're calling them and drawing them, give them the wisdom to respond. God, I want to thank you for the Dorsville Baptist Church, this ecclesia. We in no way claim to have arrived. But Father, I thank you that this is a journey we walk pretty regularly. We're learning not to judge people based on exteriors. We're learning that we have a mission. And that mission may not be our comfort. In fact, it may take us outside of our comfort zone. And we have a message. And that message is Jesus saves. So touch our hearts as a church family. Make sure we stay the course on who you want us to be as your church family. May we lay aside living for ourselves. And choose to live for the one who died for us. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm acutely aware that it's you who speaks to hearts today. Whether speaking to a person about their sin and bring them into a relationship, being reconciled, or those of us who are already in the family, how we live our life. So I'm asking you to do your sweet work as only you can. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.